0: betonline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season everything from pro and college basketball to ufc mma and more you'll always find the latest odds team matchup info player news and game trends at bet online with live betting options free contests and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable Bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast on the Believe Network. As always, thank you for listening in and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. Today we have a very special episode. Uh, this is uh, episode 8 of season 5. And we're going to be talking about the rising tides of content. And uh, this sort of comes from the idea and sort of saying, and uh, a famous really old saying of a rising tide lifts all boats. And the idea is, is that uh, as the ocean levels rise, uh, the boats who are in them will rise as well, and uh, meaning you would sort of compare this to, let's say, the economy, where as the economy uh, rises, you know, people will uh, gain more money, uh, have more access to business, that sort of thing. The idea is, is that sort of uh, as another way to say that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? Um, so something like that, but. A rising tide lifts all boats. So in the the content setting or context is this idea that, um, again, when we're talking about a trend with streaming and what's sort of happening in the streaming realm, uh, particularly with entertainment, media, and sports content, uh, looking at how that affects uh, the business as a whole and, and looking to sort of where that goes. Now, uh, the saying, "A rising tide lifts all boats uh, has its history um, with uh, President John F. Kennedy uh, is attributed to have saying have said the phrase on occasion, uh, but its uh, origins are uh, from the New England Council, which is a, a regional business chamber of commerce. Uh, but it even goes back to the uh, uh, to um, in Chinese history and the Qing Dynasty. Um, in other words, it's sort of a saying that's been around for a long time. Right. And it's probably been changed over the years. Uh, but I think the idea is, is that, um, you know, even though a rising tide lifts all boats, unfortunately you have to have a seaworthy vessel, uh, to not sink. Right. And so if the water level to rise, there's a potential that if your boat is not equipped or seaworthy, you, you will sink, uh, or, um we'll lose some ability uh, to be an effective business. And so uh, in this context of streaming and content um, and sort of in in terms of entertainment, media, and sports content, uh, you know, sort of the business principle is that streaming platforms would provide more opportunities for the creation and distribution of content because there is essentially unlimited availability on a digital platform uh, versus, you know, peak time cable television, uh, which uh, frankly is changing rapidly, uh, and some might even argue evaporating. Uh, cable television is clearly not growing; it is shrinking. And I think what um, cable providers and streamers and entertainment media sports businesses have realized is that they can sort of hold on to some level of cable television in terms of subscribers, um, that it will shrink with time, particularly as that population ages and and passes away, because generally it's the older uh, population who is uh, still using cable, but streaming is increasing. And, and of course, this is a, a global phenomenon. That's not just a phenomenon in, here in America. As streaming continues to grow, it just it's a more efficient way to receive content. Uh, And the way that, you know, you can sort of watch it at any time, Uh, you can watch multiple episodes, you have essentially unlimited, uh, vast library of content. And so this idea was that, again, with streaming being this, this tide, this sort of lifting, uh, lifting of the sort of business level, right, you could have more content, but there's that's been brought into question. and, And that's sort of what today's podcast is all about is this idea of uh, what sort of is happening in the streaming context. Is, is, um, is it really a rising tide of lifting all boats or is there going to be uh, some casualties, so to speak? And as we look at this, again, the peak time television model is rapidly changing and again, uh, arguably evaporating. Uh, and of course, the invention of streaming content Uh, on platforms is, is again, this sort of rising tide that lifts all boats, meaning creatives, writers, directors, actors, and musicians for musical scores, uh, all have a place to um, park their content, so to speak, right? There's many platforms. There's many ways to do it. You don't have to go through a theatrical distribution now. um, And you clearly don't have uh, the sort of need of physical distribution anymore when you're talking about DVDs or even prior to that VHS, right? And so um, this idea of streaming is sort of th- that it's unlimited, right? You can park content really anywhere and you're you're less limited by space and time. You still have limited time in terms of how much time you have in a day to watch content uh, and, and sort of your waking hours, but uh, and when you're not working or what have you, but it's less so in the digital sense, right, because it's parked on a platform uh, that you can watch at any time. You don't have to watch it at a certain time. You can you know, rewind, fast forward, the whole thing. Now, on the one hand, in sort of looking at some specific examples of this, streaming platforms will help uh, regional sports networks or RSNs. Uh, there's been a lot of news lately on both front office sports and The Hollywood Reporter about this issue. And uh, even to the point where Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred has come out and said that if the RSNs don't make their payments and file for bankruptcy, uh, that those games would indeed be streamed on MLB.tv, which is Major League Baseball's streamer, and uh, which would be frankly a great benefit to fans in local markets who have not been able to see their teams play because of blackout policies. So this is this is not going to affect every team because every team does not have an RSN, and not every RSN that's a part of um, the Diamond Group's um, uh, RSNs are a part of every team, right? It's 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 a limited market. I think it's uh, Denver, Seattle, and I think Las Vegas and a couple other areas. But those people in those markets would be able to see uh, the blackout games, right? The blacked out games now uh so this is a good thing right streaming is helping to uh lift this content obviously the business of rsns um has has become somewhat of uh people might argue a failure and and is and is not working anymore it worked for a very long period of time but is now changing um which is sad and you know, i think that uh, rsns did provide a really cool direct to consumer option uh for teams but um uh, the time has changed, and I think where RSNs could have um, benefited would have been to uh, create a, a streaming option. And I know Sinclair did uh, try that option, and I think that option has been successful. Uh, but I think the point of streaming is that, uh, particularly with cable and RSNs, was that you provide the option and you provide multiple avenues for people to to access the content. And any time that you have an RSN that makes it so you can only go through them, yes, it's exclusive. And yes, maybe you potentially make more money, but you don't reach everybody. And you don't have that opportunity to reach more people because you're limited in what you have, right? Um, And of course, one of the interesting things about Major League Baseball's move with this in terms of potentially taking over these regional sports networks And by the way, regional sports networks or RSNs are a situation where you have a team that sells its copyrights, its copyright to broadcast the games uh, to a local distributor. Uh, That may be a part of a national distributor, but ultimately it's a local broadcast um, and uh, it can be accessed across the country, but you have to do it through that particular RSN. So for example, if you have a cable package and you say you want Fox Sports West or Fox Sports Northwest, you would have to access those games to that particular network. This is no different than, let's say, the Dodgers and and their deal uh, with Spectrum, where if you want to watch Dodger games for the most part, it has to be done, um, at least locally, uh, through that particular RSN. And so, again, potentially a good model, but I think having streaming and other ways to access the content is a good idea. And I think baseball has, and other sports have um, experimented with this by having games on YouTube and Facebook and streaming some games. But the other issue that's popped up, which I think is fascinating, is not only will these games be streamed on MLB.tv, which is Major League Baseball's streamer, uh, if the RSNs don't uh, make their payments and then have to file for bankruptcy, but it's also, and of course, they can't make the payments because they have t- they don't have enough subscribers, and subscribers have been um, moving over to streaming, right? And so they don't have the money coming in that they once did. And of course, when you don't have the, the eyeballs on content, you lose advertisers. But the other fascinating thing that's come out of this is that it sparked a conversation of moving Major League Baseball to a national television model, which is much closer to the NFL, which has seen. A massive financial success in a television market share uh, that you know every year when you when you hear about you know what are the the highest levels of viewed content it's almost the top ten are almost always the NFL and then they there might be a World Cup game in there or there might be um, you know a, a Premier League game or something like that but for the most part um, it's it's going to be an NFL game now of course what's interesting about this. It's Major League Baseball had an opportunity to uh, move to a national television contract back in the 1960s when Branch Rickey, a um, famous front office executive for the Pirates, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals, uh, was arguing for a national television model. And uh, this is actually um, very well documented in the book, Bottom of the Ninth, uh, Branch Rickey, Casey Stengel, and the daring scheme to save baseball from itself uh, by an author named Michael Shapiro. And it's a fantastic book. And um, now, of course, in that specific book, it talks about expansion teams and it talks about a national television contract. But of course, as these RSNs haven't been successful as people have wanted them to be of late, they were very successful for a period of time. But I think this national television model, um, you know, as teams are sort of like wondering, well, you know, we're not bringing in equal amounts of revenue. Let's have it to where we bring in equal amounts of revenue, so the teams can spend more evenly, and you don't get disparities between teams. Where you have the Oakland A's, for example, spending sixty-one million on salary, and then you have uh, the New York Mets spending three hundred and eighty-four million dollars in salary. Uh, so it's again from a capital sort of capitalistic sort of standpoint, not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if a team chooses to pay that much money, it's fine. But in the context of a league that is trying to have parity amongst the teams and competitive balance, uh, obviously that's an issue. So uh, potentially uh, that conversation may occur and is occurring and we might see some changes. Uh, I think the players association would be dead set against the salary cap. So it probably won't go that far. But I think some level of minimum spend on a team uh, is going to be essential uh, and then plus uh, this idea of if you have a national television contract model, you'll have equal amounts of money coming in. So teams will not be able to argue that they don't have resources or that, you know, attendance is down. They're always going to be some level of uh, consistent money coming in, which in one way has made the NFL uh, so successful from a financial standpoint. Um, so in this scenario, a rising tide of streaming has definitely helped to distribute or will help you distribute RSN content, but it'll be at the expense of an RSN strategy that has likely become outdated, uh, which we'll return to that uh, in a moment. Now, the other issue I want to talk about is is sort of on the entertainment side, and it's this idea that as streaming as streaming has increased and we see more and more content on streaming platforms... Uh, there is some content uh, that um, is being lost. And there was a great article in the Hollywood Reporter and um, famous producer Jerry Bruckheimer was being quoted in that. Of course, Bruckheimer being uh, the producer for um, uh, many Hollywood movies and television shows, namely the most recent was Top Gun Maverick, uh, the original Top Gun, uh, uh, countless numbers of television shows, Um, Jerry Maguire, you know, in terms of other uh, famous feature films, so he has been um, a very well-known and, and um, respected producer in Hollywood, and he had some comments about this, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But this idea is that if stream- streamers have sort of increased, we have more platforms, unlimited availability to have content as long as you have, uh, you know, um, digital space to put it on. In terms of just paying for the uh, the storage, if you will, having the servers to sort of control that level of uh, of content, which is not a problem for for these companies. Um, the idea is is that you know, hey, we'd have more content on these platforms. Um, now, look, it is true on one hand that as the economy grows and shrinks, so do the markets and the industries, right? So you're going to have maybe potentially less movies being made uh, or produced uh, in a down economy. Where or, or even maybe less risk being taken on movies on movies, whereas in a uh, sort of um, higher performing economy, and you got more money coming in, you know maybe studios are willing to take larger risk. But I think the promise of streaming was that film and series uh, could live online forever as a home, and that uh, this would be an additional source of revenue in sort of this post DVD era where there was no longer. Uh, DVD money coming in. Um, You know, Matt Damon, a well known actor, was being interviewed and he talked about this recently. Where, you know, this idea in the movie business was that if a movie didn't make it during the theater run, during during theatrical run during that window, you could still make money on the back end through the DVD sales, right? Well, that's no longer the case because people aren't really buying DVDs. But I think the thought of streaming was that you would still have a theatrical run. But then it would be on a streaming platform, and you'd have this additional set of monies coming in, which has partially been true. But I think, in some sense, contracts and times need to catch up with that, and they need to figure out a more clear, clear and uh, clean and clear cut way as to where those revenues come from and how they're split, right? And that's been an ongoing battle. I think not only with the WGA, uh, the Writers Guild of America, but also with SAG-AFTRA and also with the studios and sort of how this all plays out, right? Uh, And of course, again, streaming was not only supposed to be this place where you have online content that lives forever, it was also supposed to be an additional source of revenue, as we talked about, and also as an avenue to create more content, because there was no limitation to a streamer. There was no, you know, you could exist outside the cable television time slot model. Now, in this context, the rising tide uh, is not lifting all boats, though. Because what has happened is is that some content has been disappearing from platforms uh, because it has not performed um, and in some sense takes up digital space, right? Uh, but I, I sort of like the way Bruckheimer put this going back to the Hollywood Reporter article. So he's being interviewed and he said um, again in the Hollywood Reporter quote, it's always about the work and if the work's good it'll be on the air. That's how it works. We all have had movies that don't quite work sometimes and hopefully the movies that they pull will get out there somewhere on some platform in the future end quote i think this sums it up pretty well that there is still this thing of the work has to be good right you know it has to be good it can't be bad um but there always should be a home for it um particularly if the work is good but maybe not great for the theaters right so there has to be a place for it uh and i think that streamers would be wise i think frankly to institute some sort of legacy policies uh where content lives forever survives sort of the the length and test of time uh but then again this is also the age old battle of art versus business um and um you know pardon the pun but it's often a hard rudder to steer right because you're you're trying to balance between an artistic form and what sells and this is the battle between you know, the, the artists and the writers and the directors and the actors and the studios. Um, so it's an, it's an age-old battle. But I think it highlights the fact that even though a rising tide can lift all boats, there is still an issue with sort of what happens when uh, certain business models are not seaworthy to survive, right? Now, I will say this, that streaming has also created some wonderful new sports documentaries and docuseries. Uh, this particularly on Netflix, where uh, for a platform that's not adopted live sports as a business model and has not acquired live sports rights to this point. Um, and of course, YouTube is now creating a podcast option. You know. So again, there's many avenues to create content and new content has been created and content has come out even more rapidly, even considering uh, the shutdowns that occurred during COVID. Uh, there's clearly an adoption and a craze for content. Uh, and streaming has allowed that to happen where people want to consume more and more content, whether that's a good or bad thing, or potentially a bad thing uh, if they're spending time in front of a TV all day long um, and binge watching and that sort of thing. But I think that uh, streaming has created that. It created an opportunity for additional business. I think the other takeaway here, though, is that change is a certainty, and uh, which is likely the oldest business principle, Uh, And credit even before any rising, uh, rising tide lifts all boats, uh, you know, saying, I think, again, change is going to happen. And I think as a business, you have to be prepared for that. So, you know, again, I think a rising tide uh, does lift all boats, but I think it only lifts the boats that are ready to make those business changes to survive and thrive, uh, which we've talked about uh, today. So, uh, again, folks, this has been uh, talking about the rising tides of content and uh, some of the issues uh, with regard to streaming and where that where, where content goes on the entertainment side if it's not successful, um, and what happens the theatrical window, uh, and then of course on the RSN side with sports regional sports networks, where does that content go? Does it go on a streamer? You know, and does that help to benefit uh, you know people as they want to watch additional content? And will baseball move maybe more to a national television model? And will that occur on a streaming platform? Or will it be an option on a streaming platform benefited by cable television and other options? So that's where we're at, folks. And again, as always, appreciate listening in. This show has been brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. And thank you again for making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. And we'll look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much.